The reading is from Mark 6 on page 1008 of the Church Bibles. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What this, what's this wisdom that has been given him? Uh, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few people who were ill and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus then, well, then Jesus went around teaching from the village to village, calling the twelve to him, uh, and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you, are, uh, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake off the, the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed them with oil, many people who were ill, and healed them. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is a liar, and uh, he is Elijah, and still others claimed he is a prophet, like the, one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been risen from the dead. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he, ha- him, uh, he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodus nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be righteous and a holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled yet he liked to listen to him. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and the military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodus came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his uh, dinner guests. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? 
The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once the girl hurried into the king with a request. I want you to give me the head of John the Baptist on a dish. The king was greatly distressed. Because of his oath and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and brought him back on a dish. He uh, presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing this, John's disciples came from a to- uh, and took a- his body and laid it in a tomb. The apostles gathered round Jesus and reported him, all, uh, reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going, that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, "Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest." So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said, that would make more than half a year's wages. Are we going, and, are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Jesus then told them to make all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men uh, who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethesda, where he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before the dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened.
when they had crossed over, they landed at Genesaret uh, and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout uh, that whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countrysides, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They began, um, they, they begged him to let them touch, uh, touch him, even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. We like to work on you workers very hard. Well done, Joe. That was a brilliant reading. Um, we were praying in the little chapel just before we, we began the service, and Don prayed for Phil, who was preaching today, and he said, rather him than me. So uh, it's a long chapter, isn't it, Mark, chapter 6, and, and there's so much in here. But God speaks through his word, and with the Spirit's help, I'm sure he will speak to us also this evening. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? That was the debate, the talk, the buzz, in the country and in the city, in the fields and the fishing boats of the poor and in the palaces and power of the rich. Who is Jesus? Is he the Christ? Is he the saviour that we've long expected? Is he the Messiah? And some were saying yes, others were saying no, and many were still uncertain. And, and Mark's gospel seeks to answer that question, who is Jesus? And Mark's gospel still does that today. Who is Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the saviour? Is he the son of God? And, and the chapter that we're looking at is, is very much a snapshot of Mark's gospel. We're two years into Jesus' ministry. His popularity is immense. Hence, wherever he went, immense crowds came to hear him. Herod had already heard about him, wondered who he was. And, and, and the chapter that we've, we've just heard, beautifully read by Joe, is divided into, into five sections, five headings. And each heading is describing an event that was taking place at that time. So first thing we're going to do is to go through these events one at a time and, and draw something from them and then hopefully to draw some conclusions together for us here this evening. A, a long period in time separated from this. But in, in the eternity of God, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. He still speaks. So verses 1 to 6 a prophet without honor is the title in our New International Version. So Jesus visits his hometown of Nazareth. On the Sabbath day, he began to teach. And we read in verse 2, the people were amazed at his teaching. Wow, what wisdom, what authority. But, but isn't this Jesus the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the brother of James and Joseph, of Judas and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us now? And, and because of this, they took offense. Who is this guy that speaks with such authority? Surely this is just Jesus the carpenter, who we know. And, and their familiarity kind of blinded them to, to seeing who Jesus really was. They just saw Jesus the man. And Jesus rebuked them for that. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. So if we ask the people of Nazareth to answer this question, who is Jesus? Many of them would have said, just a local boy, really? So then we come to the next section, verses 7 to 13, where, where Jesus sends out the 12 
apostles, the 12 disciples, and other towns and, and villages responded quite differently to Nazareth. And in this section, we, we see the, the spreading message of the gospel. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, having given them authority. They are speaking and working in his name. It's as though he was doing it through them. And he had gave them authority over evil spirits. And, and out they went, two by two, preaching the message that Jesus gave them. And we read that many sick people were healed and many demons were driven out from them. So we ask those people in the, in the villages, who is Jesus? They would answer, far more than just a man, that's for sure. Next section, we're whizzing through it. You think, how are we going to get through chapter 6? We'll get through it. Verses 14 to 29, John the Baptist beheaded. Poor John. Don't you feel sorry for John the Baptist? And I do. What, what a way to end. John was a good man, the greatest that ever there was in this world. And yet his end is a sad end. So we turn away from the village folk and we enter the corridors of power. King Herod, top dog in the local Roman government. He'd heard about Jesus, verse 14, and, and by now Jesus had become well known. Who is this Jesus, he asked. And some said to Herod, he, he's John the Baptist, raised from the dead. That's in verse 14. Others said, no, no, he's Elijah. And still others claimed that he was a prophet, like one, ones of, of long ago, a man sent by God. And Herod decided to believe the first report. He's John the Baptist, raised from the dead. And, and we read why he believed that, because he was guilty, of, 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 and he was fearful, and he was superstitious. And we, we heard about the sad end of John, how that Herod had like been cornered, as it were, in a way, by, by into an embarrassing situation by his rather nasty wife Herodias. And that's in verses 17 to 29. You can read that before you go to bed tonight to give yourself nightmares or whatever. But um, to save face, Herod had John beheaded, and he didn't want that to happen, but he was forced into it. And poor John. So there was, who is Jesus? We, we say to Herod, who do you think Jesus was? Herod would have answered, he's a phantom from the world of the dead. He's John the Baptist, come to haunt me. That's who he thought Jesus was. Verses 30 to 44, Jesus feeds the 5,000. We're, we're back out into the fields. We're, we're in a remote place by, by the Sea of Galilee. And thousands of people have come to hear Jesus and to see him work the miracles that he was working. And Jesus doesn't disappoint and and the, and the disciples said, send them home because it's getting late and they'll be hungry. We just don't have enough food for them. And Jesus said, well, what food have we got? Five loaves, two fishes. Very famous story. Five loaves and two small fish. And out of that, Jesus creates enough food for all the people. 5,000 men plus their wives plus their children. And there was plenty left over at the end. It's an amazing story, an amazing truth. So we ask those people and the disciples, who do you think Jesus is? They might have said, he's like Moses, feeding the people in the wilderness. And, and although it wasn't Moses, was it? It was God who fed the people. Is Jesus perhaps God? Is Jesus God? 
And then the final one is with Jesus walking on the water, which is one of my favorite stories. And straight after the feeding of the 5,000, he worked the disciples hard, didn't he? Verse 45, Jesus sent out the disciples in the boat to the other side of the lake, to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and he dismissed the crowd. And then in verse 46, he went up on a mountainside to pray alone. It's night time now, and, and the wind gets up, and we have this lovely description of the disciples struggling in their boat to make progress to the other side of the lake. And it sounds like an absolute slog. And they were exhausted. They'd been busy all day and they'd been up all night. Sounds like a parent, doesn't it, really? Busy all day and up all night. And they were tired out. And then just before dawn, we read that they see someone walking on the sea towards them. And, and they thought it was a ghost. And they were all terrified, verse 50, scared to death. And then Jesus says, don't worry, it's me. Take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And then Jesus climbs back into the boat and the wind dies down. And we read there that the disciples were completely amazed. So we ask them, who is Jesus? Do you know what? He is amazing, calms the sea. Scared us half to death, but oh, when he got into the boat, it calmed down, we were at the other side. Jesus is completely amazing. So various reports are coming in. Who is Jesus? We can answer in, in various ways. And through these five events and many others in his gospel, we see that Mark is building up strong, compelling, and convincing evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. He could have said at the end of his gospel, as John did at the end of his, these words I've written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So what about us this evening? Who do we say Jesus is? Some, perhaps not many, will be ignorant and say, no idea, to be honest. Never really thought about it. Was he Mary's son? Some will be ignorant. Others will be complacent. Maybe some of you fit into this category this evening. I've heard all these stories dozens of times before. The feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, John the Baptist's gruesome demise. It's old hat. Heard it all before. Since I was in the cradle or since I was on the baby sling or whatever. And you know plenty about Jesus, but... But like the others, you're still really ignorant of knowing him personally and of the life that he came to bring. A bit like the folks at Nazareth, really. And some will be fearful. Some will be almost scared of Jesus, like Herod was. And many have a superstitious, don't they, relationship with God, a kind of guilt from, from past and present, and, and better keep in his good books type of thing, or cross your heart, or kiss your crucifix, that kind of thing, like footballers do, to, to just bring them good luck on the field. And, and Jesus to them is just the bringer of good luck, or maybe the keeper from bad luck. And maybe to some of us, that's who Jesus is. He's a kind of superstitious idol, in a way. And so there's a warning, isn't there, in this passage this evening, for many of us, don't let ignorance, don't let complacency, don't let fear blind you or keep you from knowing who Jesus really is and, and the life that he came that we might have. So did you notice the word amaze? 
kept cropping up in, in this chapter, beginning, the end, and somewhere near the beginning when Jesus was amazed. And it, it struck me the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching. I think if we'd have been put into that situation, we too would have been amazed at the teaching and the authority of Jesus. And the disciples, we, we read, were completely amazed at his power. And we read in verse 6 that, that Jesus was amazed. But what was Jesus amazed at? He was amazed at, their, at the people's lack of faith, at their unbelief in him. There are two types of amazement. There's the amazement that is sheer wonder. Wow! Look at that type of amazement. Wow, that's just amazing amazement. A reaction to something awesome, something jaw-dropping. And, and this was the type of reaction of the people and the disciples had when, when, when things happened to them. And I think in some ways we should feel that too. Just to be a Christian sometimes is an amazing thing. Sometimes I pinch myself. Well, Phil Washington, here at the front of Bishop Hannington Church, preaching a sermon, that, that's an amazing thing. It wouldn't have happened. I never saw that coming when I was your age, you youngsters. Nowhere near. God has done an amazing thing. and I'm sure it's the same with some of you older Christians too. God continues to be amazing. One, in his knowledge of you, in his love, in his ability to do things. The God that we serve is an amazing God. And, and the better we get to know him, the more amazing he is. The second type of, of amazement is, is of being taken aback. Oh, that amazed me. Staggered by something or someone. Like, as an example, the, the weary parent of a teenager. Ears prick up in, in this head. The weary parent of a teacher, the, of, a, of a teenager, that says, I'm amazed, whatever your name is, that after everything I've said, you still leave your dirty washing on the floor. That kind of amazement. Or of the weary teenager talking to their parents. Mum, I'm amazed that after everything I've said, you still can't download photos from your phone. <laughs> Do some of us fit into that category? That's the amazement, this staggering unbelief almost. And it's the second type of amazement is, is what Jesus felt with the people. People he knew, relatives, friends, and people that knew him. He staggered by their unbelief. They'd seen so many things. How can they still not believe? And their lack of faith in him. And most of us here this evening, most but not all, know a lot about Jesus. Loads. We've been listening to these things for donkey's years. We've read books. We, we know loads about Jesus. And, and if we were asked the question, if I went around this evening, uh, to, well, who is Jesus to you? Out would come this. As I was preparing this sermon, I just sat down, and if somebody asked me the question, who is Jesus, this is what just came into my head, and this is what I could write. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of all. He has absolute authority over everything, and I mean everything, over sin, over sickness, over nature, over evil, over people, and over governments. He is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present, gracious, merciful, compassionate, just, gentle, kind, forgiving. Who is Jesus? He's the Savior. 
He's the king of all kings. He's the antitype of all the Old Testament types. He's the fulfillment of all the prophecies. He is the judge of all the earth. And for a short while, he was the criminal standing before the judge, bearing our wrongdoings, not his. He died a sacrificial death. He rose from death by the power of God. He appeared to many people after that. And then he ascended into heaven, where he is right now, alive and well. From there he reigns, he rules, he watches over us, he hears and answers our prayers. He guides, he protects, he provides, he comforts, and at times he rebukes and disciplines us. He will return to this earth, he really will, in glorious splendor and in almighty power, and every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, mine and yours included. This and all this and bucket loads more is Jesus. And most of us would say amen to that. I hope that there was some kind of reaction in your hearts to that this evening. That said, amen, thank, praise God that this is Jesus whom we know. Somebody may, might even say hallelujah, but maybe not at Bishop Hannington. <laughs> and some might say, Stephen, where is he? Amazing, because that's what he is. Our Jesus Christ is amazing. And two times this word amazed is used when spoken by Jesus. The first one is here with regards to the people's lack of faith. And there's another time that's recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, where we read of the Roman centurion whose servant is very ill. And this is what is written. Shall I come and heal him? says Jesus to the Roman officer. No, 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 says the centurion. I do not deserve you to come under my roof. You just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with, with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes and I say to my servant do this and he does it. And, and when Jesus heard this, Jesus was amazed. Same word. I've never found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Go, said Jesus to the centurion. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Dear Bishop Hannington friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, young and old, let's pray for great faith like that centurion, that, that our, our Lord Jesus might be amazed, not at our lack of faith, which I'm sure when he looks at me, so I said, Phil, how long have you been walking with me for? Don't you trust me? Uh, you sense that. How wonderful. The Lord said, oh, Phil, good, at last. You trust, you believe. We must pray as a church for great faith, not in ourselves, not in our ability, but in him and all that he is. Faith, as we know, is, is a gift of God. Let's ask him for it. Let's, let's pray for it. And once given, faith grows, faith deepens as it's used and nurtured. What, what is faith? What is this little tiny word faith? How does it work out in reality where rubber hits the road? It's trust and obedience in God, in Jesus. It's going when he says go, it's coming when he says come, it's doing when he says do, and it's not doing when he says don't do it. It's trusting him. It's trusting his strength, his power, his help, his forgiveness, his word, 
his promises and his love. Now, if amongst we others gathered here tonight, we can't somehow weave that into our lives. There's a million things going on that you need to trust God for. There certainly is in our life. They think, how are we going to get over that hurdle? How are we going to climb that mountain? And we just keep saying to ourselves, we're going to have to trust the Lord because he's been faithful so far. And, and we as a church too, we need to trust in the Lord. It's his church. He is going to lead us through, as, as individuals, maybe as youngsters, you're facing like what seems to you a mountain. How am I going to get through, over that, through that? Trust in him. I will teach you and instruct you in the way that you should go. I'll guide you. I'll watch over you. There's all these lovely promises that we can take on board. But as we learned at the very beginning, lack of faith limits, for some reason, the power of Jesus. And that's what this passage teaches. So, we should aim, we should pray, we should spur one another on to be faithful Christians. Christians who are full of faith. So, just as I close, we're doing all right. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? And then finally, who are you to Jesus? Does he know you? Have you come to know him? So, to, to Jesus, are you a Nazarene? Are you ignorant? complacent, no idea really, to be quite honest, not wanting to know who Jesus really is. What about Herod? Superstitious, fearful, come to church because you just all better come to church just in case. Guilty, just thinking he's one of many supernatural, paranormal powers out there, just a good luck charm to help you through life. Or are you a disciple, a true believer in the Lord Jesus, completely amazed at who he is, at what he's done, that he loves you, that he cares for you, that he's guiding your life, your, your, your tiny little life in the great scheme of things. He's guiding you. That's what he does in what he is and, and what he's done and continues to do. And that we, out of that, live a life of, of growing faith, of trust and obedience in him, not through fear, but out of love for him. And not just fair-weather Christians, but Storm Force 12 ones too, like the disciples, that says like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. We're going to end our service this evening later on with, with, with the lovely song, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. And then the chorus goes, how marvellous. How wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are immersed in an ocean of love. How wonderful, how marvelous is my Savior's love for me. We can sing as we know that love, as we experience that love. And pray that as we gather tonight, as we gather around your table, as we sense your spirit speaking to our own hearts, that we would come to know that love of God that is given to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Bring it to our hearts. May we know the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. May we experience and enjoy and, and look upon you and say, it's marvelous. It's wonderful what, is, what you have done 
to me. So hear our prayers, Lord, for your namesake and for your glory. Bring life to this fellowship, we pray. Amen.